0: We're live.
1: Hello, Posters. I'm Peter Burson and welcome to still another edition. And it's a thrilling edition, as a matter of fact, of Money Talks and Bullshit Walks: The History of Philadelphia from 1980 to present. Green to Kenny. With me today is our old friend Joe Willard, who texts. Uh, he arranges for uh, computer tutorials and reminds me, of course, that my limitations are limitless. Endless. Uh, endless. Limitless and endless. Uh, and his tutorials in computer skills have been, uh, he says, a complete waste of time. That's true. And time of which he will never get back, I might point Unfortunately. out. Joe texts, uh, he, he gathers uh, guests uh who by the way do not return my calls texts and emails um joe do you think these people are
0: are trying to send me a message i I think they're trying to say tell you something buddy all right well say hello joe hey hello everyone
1: thank you for uh, joining us again this
0: is about i think our 24th episode wow it's almost getting my age yeah next one will be historic
1: uh Joe, I just wanted you. I'm giving going to give you another quick update, um, and I knew it was only a matter of time. Uh, Bombastic Bushkin announced or called me and told me he needed a vacation. He said all the debts that we had were paid. In fact, he was going to use the money to pay for his vacation cruise, which is uh, a very luxurious trip through the Suez Canal. No kidding. Now, no he picks him. Bushkin told me that it was likely that during his vacation, he would lose broadband. Now, Joe, I don't keep up with who's in the broadband. I mean, is that even an appropriate term, broadband?
0: Uh, Unfortunately, Pete, yeah. Unfortunately for you, yes, that is a real term. Um, It means he's not gonna get a internet signal. Oh.
1: Oh, all right, well, I guess. I guess then we're being politically correct.
0: And, and he's being polite to saying, don't email me, don't call me. Oh, all right. Well, I, I told the youngest
1: podster about Bushkin's vacation plans. Uh, he, he asked me or he said he only had two questions. Um, what was the that? First, and the first was uh, he wanted to know if Philly was still missing the village idiot.
0: Uh, which one?
1: Well, I think he picked one out. And then he asked me what color the sky was in my world. Uh, Joe, I, I think that might—I think that might just be disrespectful.
0: I think we might need a new lawyer, Pete.
1: I don't know. Vinnie Boombox is getting—is I got him, but right now I got Bushkin uh, until he gets back or while he's in the Suez Canal. Anyway. While Bushkin was packing, he did tell me that I should continue to emphasize to all the potsters that we are not journalists, although we've had some current and past journalists join us. We deal in urban legends, and if the truth gets by or gets out, uh, just so be it. You can look at us as a bunch of friends sitting around some sort of flip and zoom thing, talking trash about the city that loves you back, the land of the giants, as former inquirer columnist Steve Lopez wrote on more than one occasion.
0: And we should get
1: him our shirts. That would be great, but you better invite him because you know he will ignore me. Okay,
0: (laughs) consider it done, sir.
1: So. We don't have any guests lined up, uh, mainly because of what I said earlier. Uh, So let's get started with the all-stars from the early 90s. Oh, and one last thing, we are introducing, and I didn't tell you this, we are introducing the song of the podcast. Uh, So today we're going to have as the song Swirling by the glorious Philadelphians, the Sun Ra Orchestra. Uh, do we have to? <laughs> that's a great song. So Joe, you you know, you get to pick. I and mean, the band doesn't have the songs don't have to be from Philly.
0: Oh, they should be, though. I mean, that's well, that's a check.
1: Be, but, but you know, what, whatever you want to be the song that you choose for the podcast,
0: it's up to you. Okay. All right. I'll I'll think about that.
1: All right. Um now. Uh, where, uh, you know, just where were we after our thrilling discussion of the Pennsylvania Intergovernment Cooperative Authority, known affectionately as PICA
0: and not Pickle?
1: Well, I like pickles, but I'm not affectionate with them. Um, <laughs> So, and we talked about how PICA saved the city from bankruptcy in the early 90s. And we discussed the term tax anticipation and the critical need for the state and the city to produce a balanced budget and the consequences of the failure of both the city and state to meet this state and city requirement. And... um, which would basically leave the city with an inability to provide day-to-day services to the citizens, like police, fire, social uh, um, work, uh, and social programs. Um, So uh, I I also want to point out to the Podsters that PICA had absolutely nothing to do with the financing and funding for the Philadelphia School District. Um, Just like uh, tax anticipation was the killer or short term term of the city finances, uh, the term preemption is or was the killer term um, for finances of the school district. Uh, So the state funding formula for each of the 67 counties for public schools, I'm repeating, but it heavily re- relies on property taxes. The feds in the state contribute to the funding of county schools, but in general, the real bottom line is the result is that the city is stuck, or the county is stuck with a funding formula that has been devised uh, by the state uh, for the counties. Uh, in case you missed it, Um, One of the problems with Philadelphia is it's not only a city, but it's a county, uh, and it stands to reason that the money it is able to collect with its own taxes to support the schools um, comes from property taxes. Um, We don't have any uh, real places to become uh, prosperous. Uh, Joe, you like that term, prosperous? I don't even know what it
0: means anymore. Yeah,
1: sure. I, I don't either. I can't even spell it. But the bottom line, again, with that is uh, the more money that the county has in property or own, own citizens who own it, uh, the more they can be taxed and the more money will then go to the school districts in those counties. So Allegheny is not a county. It's a
0: city. Anyway, in- Allegheny is a county. Pittsburgh is a city. Right. Did I say it in the reverse?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's getting past my bedtime. So <laughs> um, anyway, we got past the old idea of spelling prosperous. Um, so we're talking about money. And of course, that fits right into our theme, money talks, bullshit walks. Uh, and the richer counties, you know, the more prosperous counties, uh, they have more money because their homes are likely to be valued. Uh, which increases the value of property and the more the counties have for mo- uh, money, that, uh, the more for public education. But if you have a quarter of your population who lives at or below the poverty line, and many people in the city live in deep poverty, um, I think what's, I think it's like 30 or 27,000 per household. Um, obviously, the less value of their property is and the less money there is for the public schools and so money talks and bullshit walks so you might ask does why doesn't the state change the funding formula to give poor counties a more equitable distribution of money well uh, the answer is pretty simple it's the old parental term, They say no and people say why and they say because we said so, so they said so uh, and that's why we can't get an increase uh, in the county property taxes formula uh, to provide more money. Would that be because it's in the Constitution, the state constitution. I'm not sure it's in the state constitution, but. uh We'll get to it. It's part of the uniformity uh, clause, which I guess is in the Constitution. Um, so it also has a, a, the effect of sort of blocking taxes uh, or additional taxes uh, that may that may bring in or could bring in more revenue to the, to the city or to the county. Because whatever the state taxes, the city can't tax. Mm-hmm. Um, so that leaves the city scrambling, uh, uh, and uh, or the county, I should say, uh, or and the counties uh, through out the state. Um, they are preemptively taxed by the con- Commonwealth. Uh, no, not the con- well, we are a Commonwealth. I don't know how we got to be a Commonwealth. You got any information on that? Uh, yeah. Billy Penn. Billy Penn. Billy. Yeah. Left it to us. It
0: was a yeah. It was a legal arrangement between the King uh, yeah. of England, granting us that. as a Commonwealth. Yeah. The
1: King, the King, tossed Billy out because he was a Quaker and didn't like violence. He said, "Here, go away." And he gave Penn a lot of land, even though it wasn't his land to give him, and he went over and he became a Quaker?
0: Is that? I don't know, he, I thought he was a Quaker and they were causing trouble in England, and, but Billy Penn was not necessarily a, a troublemaker, he had some favor with the king. Well, uh, but he was a Quaker, no? He was a Quaker, yeah.
1: And that's, that's where, that's why he had the sway and the, the king said, get out of here, here's some land, go away.
0: That's right. I own this over the, over the uh, ocean. You go over there and take care of it for me, and send me back uh, some money for it.
1: All right, that a land deal. good.
0: Yeah, it's purely a land steal, not deal. Oh, that's for sure. It was a steal.
1: Well, you know, a couple, be- couple, you know, beads and I guess some seeds or
0: whatever. And well, you know, the story that uh, William Penn hired a couple guys who were like professional walkers and runners. And he made a deal with the Indians that um, uh, the the Indians would give him land as far as one man can walk in one day. Well, he he hired a couple guys um, who could walk from here to Harrisburg extremely fast. Test off the Indians like like you wouldn't believe. But so
1: was that part of the treaty at Penn Treaty? Yep. Mm How about that? Boys and girls, podsters out there, you should go down to Penn Treaty. Uh, there's a park down there. Uh, I don't know that it's all that spruced up, but it's got some history. Um, it's eh, not that far from the Liberty Bell and Independence Square. I don't know. What do you think, Joe? Is it?
0: I mean, it's not walkable. Uh, if you get there, you can walk. There's actually Yards Brewery, and there's a brand new brewer down there, too. Uh, the first African American brew company in Philadelphia. Oh, really? Yeah, two, just... it's called Two Locals Brewery. Oh, I like that. Have you have you sampled Two Locals? Not yet. I just found out about them a couple of days ago, so I, yeah, I intend so, to get down there. So you're you're giving Money
1: Talks Bullshit walks a a breaking story.
0: A breaking story. Yeah, I found it in Facebook, so I don't know somebody else broke it, but for the. MTBW audience, yes, it's a breaking story. So
1: we're talking about preemption or uniformity, um, and one of the examples that uh, of uniformity uh, and preemption uh, is is really uh, one that worked, uh, that got around the, the whole idea, and that's the whole idea of the sugar tax or the beverage sugar beverages, but I think it's a good thing or a good time to explain how that all came about. Even though it came about in the Kenny administration, uh, the the whole idea of the Uniformity Act has been tested all along. But this was uh, a situation where it was tested, and Council and Mayor Kenny were successful. And in case the posters don't know. Uh, what happened was when Kenny was elected, and at this point, I think it's his only notable achievement, uh, he wanted to have universal daycare uh, or child, yeah, daycare. Uh, but he pre K, pre K, pre K. It's
0: more of an education focus than, cha- than um, daycare.
1: But at any rate, uh, he proposed it, and everybody said, well, gee, Mr. Mayor, how are you going to pay for it? And uh, he said, I got a plan for that. Um, I think it's been used. But anyway, his plan was, and it was also having to do with the health of the citizens, because uh, many of the citizens here are eat unhealthy and they drink a lot of sugary drinks.
0: We were so- v- when we voted back in the 890s as the unhealthiest group of citizens. In, in, in I, I, I think we do wear that badge of honor. Yeah, under Mayor Street's uh, administration that, that came out. Well, we didn't
1: get up to Mayor Street, but at any rate, so the council, they, there was an intense amount of opposition. And the way it works normally is he made that proposal and council sort of played around with it and didn't do anything for a amount of uh, a certain amount of time. I'm not sure how much, but what he did uh, caused uh, some some angry voices to be raised from not only the beverage industry, but also from the chamber of commerce. So the basic tact that happens in all these sorts of situations when you're getting uh, powerful people or powerful entities upset uh, is to, for their first act, is to say, this is unfair. Uh, We agree with the whole idea, but why are you picking us out? We're going to lose money. Mm -hmm. Um, And when that initial push doesn't work, then they go to the lobbyists. And the lobbyists are not dumb. Um, they're, I mean, there, and then they have uh, connections, and I'm not going to say that they are uh, corrupt connections, but they know the legislators, they know the councilmen, and they go to the council people and their staff and try to impress them with uh, how unfair this was or is if you pass the bill. That... Uh, in our case, uh, in this anecdote with the sugar tax didn't work uh, and Kenny signed it into law and there was all sorts of jumping up and down that the city's going to lose money and everybody shrugged that off. So they, the sugar and beverage industry and the and Chamber of Commerce took the next step and that was to go to court. And uh, the the lawyers they have uh, came from very reputable law firms, and they are they're charging four, five, six hundred dollars an hour, and that's you know before they walk into court. Uh, you know these people have practiced law, and and I, I just want to be clear: this is not an area that bombastic Bushkin would be involved with. He uh, would take a slip and fall on a sugary drink. Don't don't get me wrong. He would sue over that, but this kind of stuff, no. So the case went to the Supreme Court with the argument made by the sugary people or the, and, and and the Chamber of Commerce uh, that it was blocked by the uniformity clause because uh, the state taxes everything. And the Supreme Court denied that. So we do have the sugar tax. Uh, So if you go into your local Acme or ShopRite or Giant uh, in Philadelphia, you will see uh, a price for, let's just say, a a 12-pack of uh, Diet Coke. that is going to be different if you just drive a couple miles and go into one of the suburban counties, Delaware County, Mongo, uh, where, where it would be cheaper, because they do not have to put a tax on that uh, that's been uh, imposed by uh, this, the county or the city of Philadelphia. To pay for this, so that's the anecdotal uh, uniformity clause uh, preemption discussion uh, with a good and successful outcome. And as I've said before, and I said a couple minutes ago, it's probably the only notable achievement of the Kenny administration. Um, Joe, can you think of any anything else uh, with regard to the Kenny?
0: term? Well, I, I, there is a story where, where they did use the money for fixing up the rec centers for expanding the pre-K program. And something like 6,000 kids are now getting uh, pre-K services. And there was one other thing that they were going to use that money for, but I can't remember what that was. But the rec centers really needed a, a, an overhaul throughout the whole city. Um, so you got something good out
1: of the whole thing. All right, Joe, let, let's just move on from taxes and preemption. I, I, I can see that your eyes are blazing over. Um, oh, it and, is 9 uh, o'clock. <laughs> well, I, I know that. Um, anyway, the, the thing that I really want to get to is uh, the sort of the elected uh, officials or politicians, and my discussion or our discussion is by no means a uh, all-encompassing discussion of the polls that sort of started to come to the surface, if you will, uh, in the early '90s or '90s. Uh, so. Um, I guess one of the things is that we should talk about is probably the biggest uh, politician that emerged from, from the early 90s is Ed Rendell. Um, we kind of went through Rendell's uh, primary and uh, we went through the general election uh, and we went through the primary of the Republicans where Castillo, Ron Castile, who was the sitting DA, he succeeded Rendell, as a matter of fact, uh, lost in the Republican primary to Frank Rizzo, and then Rizzo died, and Castile was out of a job, and Rendell won
0: Rizzo, you know, right in the middle of the campaign. Rizzo before, died. before you go more into that, tell the story that you told me about how Castile got elected to the DA's office. Because I, I don't think our sponsors will know this. How he got elected? To yeah, because Rendell went, right? And so somebody had to appoint him, right? No, no, we're getting to that. Okay. Rendell filled, we had a long discussion
1: with others who were much more primed on this issue than I. And we had a long discussion uh, in which these friends were, um, we very adamant that Rendell served out uh, his term as DA, and then when he finished that term, he ran for governor and lost. But the discussion that you're dis- you're bringing up is about who succeeded Castile. Yep. So the, the Lynn Abraham succeeded uh, Castillo. Uh, there was a vacancy. Um, And the vacancy uh, called for the filling of this spot of the district attorney. And because she was, because of this vacancy, the way the law works in in Philadelphia, the board of judges decides who the interim DA will be up until uh, the election. And the board of judges is all the common police court judges in Philadelphia.
0: All of them. Um, and how many, many is
1: that? Oh, I think it's 60 or 70 of them. Okay. Um, and they're, they all sit. It's Let's be clear, they're not municipal court judges, and there's about 20 of them. And to be brief, municipal court judges are elected. Uh, there's only one municipal court in the whole state. Uh, the rest of the cases that are involve people who are arrested and charged with felonies are heard by what they call district justices. District justices do not even do not have to be lawyers, but they're elected. Uh, So the proceedings uh, in district justices chambers are a lot different than what happens in a courtroom in Philadelphia when people are arrested for felonies and uh, and then they have a hearing to determine whether or not uh, there was basically, whether or not a crime was committed and the person who's accused of the crime did it. That's not beyond a reasonable doubt, that's just a test to see if there was enough information uh, that would push the court into the idea or that the court would agree that the arrest Pushed it with the evidence to go to trial as a felony in common pleas court. So, to back up, because I can again see that you're saying, What in the hell is this all about? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do digress. Um, <laughs> at least that's what I'm told. You keep uh, thinking I'm a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that goes back to Prosperous. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the Board of Judges meet and they elect Lynn Abraham. Uh, I don't remember who her opposition was uh, amongst the the judges and she won by several votes, not by a huge uh, amount of votes. And Abraham had a little history to her that should be told because Again, this is the '90s, but she has uh, she she was a baby DA, as we would call it. Uh, a What DA? A, a baby DA. A baby that, DA. Baby DA. That that means that she was a young DA. That's the way young DAs who, when they first enter the office, that's what they're called by the elder DAs.
0: They're baby DAs. So, I like think DA. a bit of a, a hazing going on there.
1: Well, yeah, Um, but she was, and then at some point, uh, this is now when uh, Rizzo was the mayor, and somehow Rizzo, I'm not sure, was taken by uh, Abraham's uh, abilities, and there was a total mess at PHA which I'm sure we'll get to. But anyway, there was a scandal there and he sent uh, Abraham over to clean up the mess, so to speak. And when he did, he told the uh, citizens and of course the press mm-hmm. uh, that she was one tough cookie. Uh, so she was then, She shortly after she cleaned it up, she was elected to municipal court as I just described, and then shortly after that, she was elected to common pleas court. So that's when the judges voted back in, I guess it was 92 or 91, uh, when Castile left. That's when the board of judges met and that's how she became the district attorney. Uh, There's a lot of interesting things about this is that she was obviously the first A woman district attorney. uh, And she was the longest serving district attorney period in the city of Philadelphia. She served for 19 years. Wow. Uh, 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 With full disclosure, I worked for her. I worked for Rendell. um, I worked for, and in between I worked for Castile. uh, And I worked for uh, Seth Williams. Uh, who did a lot of stupid things and ended up in jail um, and having wasted an enormous amount of talent on some really, really stupid decisions. Uh, and I worked for um, Larry Krasner for uh, I think the first five or six months of his term. Uh, we'll get to Seth and to uh, Krasner as we move into the next uh decade, when the millennium changes. Uh, that's when uh, Seth and, and Krasner really surfaced. Um, but now we're back to the whole thing about Rendell. Uh, and the first, uh, he was, a, uh, and I've said it, he was a great politician. Um, and he got himself elected uh, in 91, started his term in 92. Um, but, and of course he was a true term governor. And one of the things I want to point out is when was the last time Philadelphia had a governor elected by the state? And Joe, you, you can make a guess, but I can go back 50 years and not think of one who was elected. No, you're, you're saying. Definitely not since
0: 1950. I I can't remember back beyond that, but definitely not. Since so, so uh,
1: but when when he was when he was elected, uh, the city was in basically the same condition, maybe worse uh, than when Green inherited it uh, or won the election, and then Good inherited it and won the election. Uh, it it was you know it was just in horrible condition. Without Pike, the city would have gone broke. How how's this? They would have been a ward of the state. Ooh,
0: like that. Anyway, more poetry.
1: And of course, uh, school-wise, uh, it was just as bad. Um, the passage rates uh, were poor. The dropout rates were incredibly poor. Uh, this was leading, leading to poverty because we already had it, but the manufacturing jobs, as we talked about, ad nauseum had left. And if you have people who are dropping out of schools or not achieving in schools, they're not going to have really good prospects for jobs. Uh, So we have a lot of people and we still do have a number that are working at minimum wage jobs. Uh, And the poverty has hovered around 25%. Maybe it's a little lower, maybe it's a little higher, but it's been in there and they're the, we're the poorest city uh, of the 10 top cities in the country. Um, and uh, so when we get to the schools, as we were just talking about, uh, you had uh, uh, just the decrepit schools themselves, uh, the infrastructure of them, uh, you had the bickering among the unions, uh, the city and the state and uh, the school district administration. Um, some people like to call it uh, a dumpster fire full, full of shit. But I kind of like my line. It was just a shit show. Um, and if you don't like my line, as you know, my response is get your own damn podcast. There you go. Uh, so Randell got it into office and he had all that and he quickly went to work on PICA. But one of the person, people, one of the key people that helped him with PICA was a guy by the name of David Cohen. And Cohen is a really smart guy and a great lawyer. And I'm not exactly sure uh, how the two cross paths, but I'm um, given to understand that they were both practicing law and uh, they they were both practicing law at that time uh, at different law firms, uh, but Rendell either got coaxed into it or uh, came to his own conclusion uh, that he needed a chief of staff and Cohen was, was the guy to do that. Um, if, if the Podsters don't know, Cohen was and is a very bright man and he went on to become the senior vice president of Comcast. And a lot of people credit him uh, with the incredible growth of Comcast, not only here, but obviously throughout the country. Uh, So, uh, and I believe, I'm not positive, Joe, you might know, uh, Cohen's retired from Comcast. But he was also a big player uh, in in politics, and not only in the city, but certainly nationwide. He was one of the first people to hold a fundraiser for uh, Joe Biden uh, after Biden announced. But Cohen was definitely a player. He was not an elected uh, position holder. He was just, I would, I would say he was an inside man. Um, but Rendell hired him and he ran things and Rendell had, he had charisma. Uh, Some people don't look at it that way, but uh, he was elected to two terms. He was a two-term governor uh, and he became uh, a player. Uh, He wasn't cut out of the scene uh, statewide or citywide or uh, by the US government. People recognized his talents. Um, So what Rendell did uh, locally when he was the mayor was he began to address the city inner core businesses. Uh, And uh, let's just say what he was primarily paying attention to is the area between uh, the Delaware River and the Schuylkill River and then from maybe Vine Street or a little bit north of Vine to a little bit south of South Street. Um, and he created enough buzz uh, that people from the suburbs would had came to the idea that they would want to come into the city at night to go to dinner because there was also this restaurant Renaissance. Uh, there were things to do, uh, and th- and this this got around, and lo and behold, people came to visit the city. Uh, so we had uh, the beginnings of a tourist industry, uh, a service industry, and that's where a lot of people are still working in this city in the service industries, and um, they had a hard time uh, uh, through the COVID. And I'm not sure that a lot of that stuff is is ready to come back. I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: It's a story. <laughs> yeah.
1: So we but anyway, uh, he also ended up with several school superintendents, uh, some of which were competent, uh, but hamstring strung by by financial issues. Uh, some of which were simply acting. uh, But then there was a guy by the name of David Hornbeck. uh, And Hornbeck uh, basically uh, got everybody's attention when one fall some start of school time, he uh, laid down the gauntlet. He said, if you don't give me more money, I'm closing the schools. People uh, had never heard of such a thing. Uh, but he he went on about this. And uh, it caused a lot of uh, a lot of people to question what was going to go on and especially the people in Harrisburg who didn't want to give Philadelphia anything to start with. Uh, but They certainly didn't want to bail out the city. So what happened ultimately, and we still didn't get to that, is that there was Act 46, which in essence, the state took over the schools and with some pretty tough provisos. And then, uh, of course, it also led into the whole charter school movement. But again, that that whole thing was kicked off by Hornbeck. Uh, During Rendell's terms, I believe there was one or two strikes that lasted. One lasted, I think, 20 or 25 days. I don't know. Do you remember, Joe?
0: No, not offhand. But that was in the early his first term, right? Early in the 90s. But.
1: So we're doing nineties and the early nineties, especially, and we're doing what I call the class of 91. Um, uh, and, but the man who was not new to the scene in 1991 was Vince Fuma. And Fumo uh, really was responsible for nearly every major piece of legislation Uh, regarding Philadelphia or having a a major impact on Philadelphia from the mid-80s until his, I guess, his indictment and conviction. Uh, I don't know, when was that, 08, 09, somewhere in there. Um, But Fumo was uh, the guy everybody went to uh, from Philadelphia to get anything from the state. So he was a major player. Um, uh, he was the school, uh, the, the smartest guy in the class or the older classman, the valedictorian uh, in 1991, who uh, took a liking to some of the pals uh, that were coming around. Um, well, admittedly, there's a lot of them, but Fumo was a major guy, but not from the 91 class.
0: But... Uh, but he's also he was very charming and besides he was a member of mensa i think you have to have an IQ like a 150 or above he was smart uh
1: and i don't think he lost that uh when he was in jail um and just for the podsters out there he did 55 months um which is just short of five years if you if you know your math uh, okay anyway um in, in the early 90s, he, well, I think he remained so, but he was very combative uh, back in the early 90s. And he got into uh, a lot of fights with uh, a union leader named John Doherty. I don't think he was the president of the electrician's union. We're talking Rendell, right? Rendell? We're or- talking Fuma. Fuma, okay, go ahead. He probably had his issues with Doherty too. Um, But I don't think he was, Rendell was on uh, bad terms with FUMA, uh, because he needed FUMA. He needed FUMA very
0: badly, especially when it came down to PICA. Yeah, Um, because FUMA would carry the water for Philadelphia and Harrisburg, right? I mean, he was the lead advocate. Well,
1: he he was, and um, of course, the other one was Bob O'Donnell, who was the Speaker of the House. Uh, and O'Donnell was uh, also from Philadelphia. And I don't remember the last time we had a Speaker of the House who was from Philadelphia. No, maybe John Prisel was. Yeah, Prisel was, yep. Well, but Prizel was a Republican. Uh, yep. We don't have many of them anymore either. Not, uh, in Philly.
0: Not in Philly. But Fuma was the chair of the Senate um, Appropriations Committee for the Democrats. That's right. So, yeah. so when, the talks- right, when it's all... Right, <laughs> right. Definitely the money... Was flowing so when when the state budget was passed it was four people sitting in the room bob o'donnell fumo and probably joe loper on the republican Senate and then, side
1: and then there was a guy who talked about when we really talked about pica named earl baker uh baker, who, was, yeah. who was a state senator from i want to say chester maybe chester sure. yeah no he's
0: Chester County. And, yep.
1: and he he for some reason did not want to see Philadelphia go under, and he provided Republican leadership to to get PICA done and to help save the city. Uh, Nobody's had any real clear explanation as to why Baker was so, uh, I'll say nice to the city uh, and uh, forceful for the city when he didn't really have to be. Uh, but that's how it got done, and FUMO, as you said, carried, carried the water, and he knew that money-talked and bullshit-walked. Um, so he was the man uh, who kind of was the uh, king of the class of 91. Um, and Potters, I want you to guess... Um, about about this person. Uh, he started off, uh, this guy, this kid, uh, uh, as a, uh, he was from Two Street, which is Second Street, but if you're from South Philly, or Philly, uh, he came from South Philly, was the uh, son of a, of a, of a fireman. Um, he himself was a mummer. Um And he was an intern in the state senatorial office of Fumo. And the rumor is, uh, while he was an intern, he was nicknamed Baby Huey. Uh, Later, he became Fumo's chief of staff. uh, And Fumo became very instrumental to his election as a councilman at large. Um, So who was that? The Jeopardy
0: answer is? I think I know who you're going to talk about, but I can't imagine why they call him Baby Huey because he was not a big fat guy, you know, from the TV cartoon character Baby Huey, right?
1: Well, Joe, we're dealing with urban legends. Uh, true that. So it was Jim Kenny.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, so, um, and that was when Kenny was elected. Was ninety one, so he was in the class of nineteen ninety one, and Fumo was his godfather. Fumo pushed him uh, into city council, and he backed him uh, through that. And uh, through that, Kenny was considered an independent type of uh, councilman. Uh, and in ninety one, when he was elected. Uh, of course, he is his, uh, his godfather, so to speak, was Fumo. But at this point, my understanding is uh, that the two have not spoken uh, or do not speak. Uh, uh, and they do not speak because Fumo was very, very upset. With Kenny, when as Kenny is the mayor during uh, the Memorial Day um, protests and the housing uh, issues that caused uh, that had a lot of people living on the parkway, Fumo, I believe, lives on Spring Garden Street, but he was really mad uh, with with. Kenny because he believed that Kenny didn't do anything or take any real action to deal with uh, the problem that was being created by the people who were living on the Parkway uh, and disrupting life for people in that neighborhood. So he, I believe in, uh, in, in a Facebook post, I'm not sure, he called Kenny a pussy and offered to fight Kenny. Um, Who who said this? Randell or or Fumo? No, Randell had nothing to do with this. This was Fumo being mad at his pupil, Kenny, and he offered to fight him. And uh, then uh, another guy by the name of... He might have
0: been deep in his cups when he said that thing. Well, he's had
1: heart problems. Anyway, that is Fumo, not Kenny. Uh, but anyway, then another person surfaced who also wanted a piece of the action, and his name was Rick Mariano. Mariano we'll get to, but and it involves a story with the uh, City Hall Tower. Uh, he was a city councilman, and we'll get to Mariano, but just know for now, he too wanted a piece of the action against Kenny. So, um, uh, and another uh, reason that Fumo was fuming, so to speak, was that uh, he few uh, the Kenny didn't do anything about the tearing down of the statue of Frank Rizzo in front of the uh, municipal service building. Uh, Fumo was th- horrified and mad about that. And of course, he was also mad that the mural of uh, Fumo uh, around, I think it was on a wall, on, nine, on in, during the, in the Italian market on 9th Street was also painted over. Uh, so Fumo was was or is not happy with Kenny. Um, and at that point, uh we talked about uh, what, if anything, co- uh, Kenny's been able to accomplish since COVID, and I think we both agree that it wasn't much.
0: Um, oh, I don't know if I'd agree about that. Um, I think the the jury's still out. Uh, um, you know, COVID's messing up all kinds of things, but city's been uh, was in the black for I think as long as he's been mayor. Um, Hasn't been major layoffs, hasn't been a major problem.
1: Well, yeah, um, we'll see what happens uh, this year because I think that uh, we're not going to have much money to balance the budget to, and to do a lot of other things because there wasn't a lot of people working. Uh, and we're stuck with that. Um, So we'll see what happens when they have to submit a budget. Uh, I don't think there's going to be $100 million to fix poverty, as some people think, uh, some of our councilmen. Uh, I think uh, our friend uh, who appeared with us wrote an article that said for 40 years, Mayors have been promising to end poverty in Philadelphia and I'm still waiting. And I I do not think that anything's going to change in 2021. Um, So then in 91, there was another person who was rising and his name was Bob Brady. Um, And I'm sure everybody knows Brady's name. All you posters out there should know who Bob Brady is. He's the head of the Democratic Party in Philadelphia, and he has been such since 1991. So we're going to put Congressman Brady into that class of '91. Um, and Brady's rise was pretty close to. I don't know, Anyway, I was going to say close to to Kenny, but I I don't think so. I think that uh, Brady made his own way without much pushing. Brady uh, was a union carpenter, uh, hanging and banging with the unions. Uh, And he was also, I believe, a committeeman out in the 34th Ward, Overbrook Park, or Overbrook. It's not Overbrook Park. It's Overbrook. Arms. Yeah, Arms, right? yeah. So he was a committeeman out there in the 34th Ward. Um, and the ward leader from the 34th Ward was also a city councilman. I think he became the president of city council, a guy by the name of George X Schwartz. Uh, some people called him the Silver Fox and some people said that the X stood for double cross. Um, as we've talked and we've named the show, Money Talks Bullshit Walks, and of course that saying came from Ozzie Myers during the ABSCAM scam uh, scandals. But Schwartz also was indicted uh, in ABSCAM, scam and his famous line was, uh, after he accepted a $30,000 bribe uh, from what turned out to be an undercover FBI agent, Uh, he told the agent who was dressed as an Arab sheik that all he had to do, that is the sheik, was to tell Schwartz when his birthday was, and he would give him five or six votes in council. Schwartz went to jail for a year, um, and I think he got out after a year and died in 2010 or 11. I'm not positive, but The story is that Schwartz controlled a lot of patronage in uh, council and other places. And one of the people who got a lift up is Bob Brady. And Brady became the Sergeant of Arms for City Council. Uh, Don't know if he had any role in in, uh, breaking up the fight between John Street uh, and Franny Rafferty or between Lucian Blackwell and Rafferty. Um, But as a digression, I would note that two of the combatants in that, John Street and Lucian Blackwell, uh, Street went on to be a two-term mayor and um, Blackwell served in Congress for about two years. So anybody who says that Philadelphia politics is not a contact sport is wrong. It is a contact sport and that is proof of it. Um, so anyway, Brady was there and he was a card-carrying uh, union man, uh, he became the war leader of the 34th Ward when, Street, when Schwartz went to jail um, and the question was whether or not uh, Brady had any role in breaking up the fights. Um, so that that's where Brady stood, um, and, but his career went on. I told you that he became the head of the Democratic Party in '91, and he's still there. Um, and he he's I said he was a union man, and he was a meat and potatoes uh, union man. It, his issues, the issues they have, the unions, better wages, better working conditions, and better health and welfare benefits. That's Brady. Now I'm, and I'm not saying that in, his, in, in any kind of a negative way. It's just my impression of what Brady stands for and stood for uh, during his whole career. Uh, and he's a peacemaker too. Uh, he's brought unions and business to the table and resolve uh, their differences. He's respected in politics and business. Uh, he gets things done,
0: uh, and, and he settled. Then he settled the uh, the, the labor strikes of uh, Rendell's first year, right? He did. Yes,
1: he he was very instrumental in that, and uh, he had backed Rendell when he when Rendell first ran for for uh, for mayor. Um, so, but I think Joe, you might agree. Uh, I think you will agree. Uh, Bob Brady is sort of the very
0: definition of an old school ward politician. Um, it really is yeah I mean he's very personable he can be very funny uh he pays attention he listens well he's smart um he's got a lot of friends in a lot of places and he doesn't make enemies um,
1: no. yeah I mean overall
0: he's a good guy he's like a guy from the neighborhood um, right is that type uh, of guy
1: and he knows how to win elections um and he, he um, became a congressman, he ran for Congress in uh, a majority black district. I believe uh, he served for a fair, you know, 15, 16 years, maybe a little more, but the whole time uh, he served, the uh, population uh, in his congressional district was a ma- majority uh, black citizens. Uh, and uh, I believe, you can check this, Brady was the only congressman during that period to have been elected uh, as a white man in a majority black uh, citizens in the, his congressional district. And in fact, he never really had any opposition, to tell you the truth, uh, at least I can't think of any. Uh, there was a problem, and we'll get to that, with his last election or his next to last election, but uh, that ended up with, he didn't have any opposition. There were some problems there. And some people went to jail, but
0: not Brady. Um, right. he, he was really astute at picking um, African-American leaders in from his community uh, to be on his staff. Um, and some really, really outstanding leaders, community leaders, Uh, We're part of that ducky burks i remember him he's a big time youth basketball basketball. leader and a community leader and a fundraiser for a lot of good causes um was on the staff for a long long time
1: uh but really what brady has been good at um in fact i would say outstanding is his ability to herd cats he uh, sits over 66 or 67 ward leaders uh, and gets consensus out of them every year uh, about platforms and politicians and elections. Um, so I think that pretty much echoes what you were saying. Uh, and uh, he, he's done that, and I don't know how much longer he wants to do it, but he's done that and he's done that with success. Uh, a quick story about about Brady was when he f- was first elected, um, the uh, they assigned congressional. Uh, I guess they would call them. Uh, they were, they're were called uh, uh, committees. I guess is the best. Term, I was thinking of something fancy, but anyway, he he they they gave him what they call the administration committee, which is not exactly what you would call high profile. Basically, if yeah if yeah, this was an administrative committee that ran Congress. They got the Xerox machines, and of course, this is just an, uh, a stupid example. Uh, if and they got they got conference rooms. And if there were problems, Brady would make sure that the conference rooms were there and people had the Xerox machines. Uh, and he did that. Mm. He became so good at it that the Republicans and the Democrats called Brady the mayor of Congress. So he knew how to provide uh, services. Uh, the, the funny thing is he, he was known as the mayor of Congress but when he ran for mayor, he lost. (laughs) So uh, anyway, the story goes that when Brady was initially elected, he went to uh, Nancy Pelosi, who even in the early 90s was at the top of uh, the leadership in the Democratic Congress. Uh, And he handed Pelosi a letter. And Pelosi said, what's in this? And he said, open it. And apparently, what the letter said was, I resign. And she kind of looked at him and she said, he said, anytime I disappoint you, what I would like you to consider doing is dating this and giving it back to me, and I'll submit it. And that that's the story about Brady. It sort of uh, illuminates. What we've been talking about, obviously, he did not tender his resignation. And uh, Pelosi, who pretty, I don't know if, if people know, but her father was the mayor of Baltimore and a pretty old school pal himself. Um, mm-hmm. She's put on a little shine to her shoes and cleaned herself up. But uh, she comes from a line of old school pals. Um, one. One. No okay um, uh, to just finish up sort of about the the people who were the rising stars of, of politics in what I've called uh, the 91 92 uh, again I'll just quickly repeat that these are not the be-alls and end-alls of uh, the 90s the early 90s pals uh, but one other person I do want to add is um, chaka Fata um, Uh, When John Cromer uh, joined us at uh, Money Talks Bullshit Walks, uh, we talked about a lot of different things relating to the early 90s. And uh, his book, I think it's called Philadelphia Battlefields, Disruptive Campaigns Upset Elections uh, in a Changing City. But in the book, he had a discussion uh, that talked about one of the people who rose was Chaka Fatah and he rose from state representative to congressman. Um, Fatah came from a community activist family. Uh, his mother, s- sister Flocka Fatah, was deeply involved in the mid 70s in-, in seeking an end to gang violence uh, and shootings. And uh, that was definitely a precursor to uh, the sad things that are occurring uh, all over Philadelphia now. Uh, but she was the founder of a, of a of House of Emoji. and in fact, uh, given today's stuff uh, events, I should say, uh, she apparently is renewing her efforts to help stop the violence and killings that have been going on. And, but she gave uh, Fatah instant chaka Fatah, some instant credibility uh, when he became involved in uh, electoral politics in the mid-80s and early 90s. And in 94, uh, Fatah beat Lucian Blackwell and became the congressman for a wide section of Philly, uh, parts of Center City, West Philly, North Philly, and Northwest Philly, uh, Eastern, Eastern West Mount Area uh, at any rate. And Maybe you are claim I'm not positive. Uh, Fatah, again in a very disappointing uh, situation, shall we say, also went to jail uh, for several years uh, and it again wasted talent, similarly to uh, Seth Williams. I believe in Joe, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, he also ran for mayor and lost. Mm-hmm. uh i'm not positive of that i uh, do you have a, uh, a recollection
0: yeah, i can't remember that one
1: well then it's an urban legend um it, it, and truth doesn't get in the way anyway uh but he was elected he built he beat blackwell who was certainly an old line pal uh and he he started his let's just say real rise uh in the 80s uh and then in the early 90s. Uh, he became a United States congressman, uh, replacing Blackwell, who had replaced Bill Gray, and he ultimately uh, left office in, 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 you know, in shame. Uh, and again, it, it's really sad that he too was indicted, um, so he wasn't friendly with the feds. His son also, Chip, I believe his name is, or his nickname, also went to jail, but that's a whole other story. So that sort of ends, not sort of, it does end our review of the rising 91 class in Philadelphia politics. I would point out, or or I wouldn't point out, uh, I would just say to Joe, you've had the whole podcast. You have the podsters on the edge of their seats, and not because they're just sleeping. They want to know... What song that you have picked to be for the podcast
0: of the day? What's the song? Well, no, I, I've got to keep our listeners uh, with a worm on their tongue, bated breath, and we will reveal that at our next podcast. Wow.
1: That is, that's a cliffhanger. That'll make people keep coming back.
0: John. There you go. That's, that's, that's the kicker in there. That's the teaser. All right. So that's
1: it for the old money talks bullshit walks podcast.
0: And I believe what are you saying this is 24? Number 24. Yep. So the next one will be big 25, our all anniversary. Right. Yep. All right. So, so it's all right. That's it. Yeah. Say good
1: night, Peter. Good night, Peter.
0: <laughs> See you, everybody. Catch you next time. Thanks. <laughs>